Welcome to another episode of Light in the Dark Podcast. I am your host, Lady B. Now, I was debating if this episode needed a trigger warning, but I'm going to give it anyway. Just because a word or a phrase doesn't trigger one person doesn't mean it can't or won't trigger someone else. Trigger warning. Today's topic is about adultery. Now, on that note, let's start the show. Women are often crucified when it comes to adultery. No matter her role, she's still criticized and crucified. If a husband cheats, society says that his wife didn't do enough to keep him from straying. Also, the other woman is called a Jezebel, a homewrecker, or some other disgusting name under the sun. The cheating spouse, on the other hand, is basically given grace by society. Society will say that he's just a man being a man, and that all men cheat. What a lame cop-out. Anyways, women are given the scarlet letter, while men are given a pass. According to BibleOdyssey.org, the definition of adultery in much of the Hebrew Bible is one-sided. Imagine that. Men did not have to be faithful to one woman. They could have more than one wife. Check out Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 28 through 29. This points to a society that valued men above women, in which men had social and political power, and women's role was to serve men's interests. In the New Testament, several writers warn men against adultery. Check out 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, and also Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. But the only story that focuses on adultery uses the adulterous woman motif. In John chapter 7, verse 53 through chapter 8, verse 11, the Pharisees bring to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. They ask Jesus if he thinks that she should die for her sin, as the Jewish law demands. But they do not mention her male partner, who is absent from the account. Clearly, in the male-focused world of the Bible, all adultery was a crime. But adulterous women were seen as much more dangerous and subversive than adulterous men. Hmm... Even in today's society, we are quick to cast judgment on the other woman. We are quick to give her a possibly unwarranted name. A few examples would be a hoe, side chick, Jezebel. Yes, some people still use that word. Tramp, mistress, a demon, and the list goes on. One name that I don't recall society using is victim. That's right, victim. We never call the other woman a victim. We are so busy stoning her with our words and judgment that we never take time to consider that maybe she was the victim of a manipulative, fast-talking, opportunistic, conniving snake. Maybe she was taken advantage of at her lowest, most vulnerable moment. We rarely, if ever, take that into account. We never give the other woman the benefit of the doubt. But we always give the man absolution. He is mostly absolved of any wrongdoing in the eyes of society. I wonder why. Let me give you a random scenario. The choir director of a church has a nine-year-old son. He was recently diagnosed with a very progressive form of cancer. The inevitable comes to pass and the child dies. 
His mom, the choir director, is devastated. During her time of bereavement and grief, she assumes her church family will be there for her. However, most people weren't. Most people were in judgment. Most felt as if she should have taken the boy to the doctor much sooner. Even if members of the congregation sat in judgment of her, surely the first lady, one half of her spiritual covering, would seek her out to console her and help guide her through these dark, troubling days. You would think so, right? Okay, so time goes on and the first lady does not reach out. Whenever the choir director, who is still grieving, by the way, tries to reach out, she receives no response from the first lady. One day, the pastor himself reaches out to the choir director. He invites her to his office. She sits in one of the chairs in front of his desk. He takes a seat in his chair behind the desk. She bears her soul and begins to cry. He stands, walks around his desk, and sits in the chair next to hers. He hands her a box of tissues. He eventually hugs her and gives consoling words. She cries a little bit longer, and after she gathers herself, he says that he will call her later to check on her. So far, this all seems innocent enough, right? Okay, so he calls her a few hours later. The conversation only lasts for a few minutes. Now, for the time being, she still remains as the choir director. She feels God's presence when the choir is singing. It gives her peace, joy, and a sense of purpose. She's also able to block out the feeling of judgment from the congregation. The first lady still hasn't reached out or responded to the previous texts and emails that she sent. So one day, after not being able to take it anymore, she tells the pastor that she is thinking of resigning from her position as the choir director and possibly leaving his church. So he immediately tells her that he wants her to stay, that he needs her, that her leading the choir makes his sermon sound even better. Now to anyone on the outside looking in, his reaction to her thoughts about leaving may be a little problematic, a little cause for concern. But to the choir director, what the pastor said sounds like no judgment and that she matters. So she decides to stay. Still grieving the loss of her son, she confides more and more to the pastor. She sees him as her full spiritual covering now because she was basically abandoned by the first lady in her time of need. The pastor and the choir director spend more and more time together. They talk and text more and more. He says beautiful words to her. He touches her hand and she doesn't move. It seems innocent enough. He doesn't seem aggressive. Next, he attempts to hold her hand. She reciprocates. He leans over and kisses her on the cheek. She doesn't pull back. He kisses her on the lips. And this time, she pulls back. She lets go of his hand and says, no, we shouldn't be doing this. You're married. You have a wife. She takes a step backward. He takes a step forward. He notices that she has walls up and is guarded. He wonders what he can do to put her at ease again. He apologizes and says that he'll never do it again. He says that he just got caught up in the moment. He apologizes one more time. 
he makes sure he has the most apologetic look on his face. Now she looks at him and she sees that he looks sincerely apologetic. She says that it's no big deal and that she forgives him. He sees her walls come down. She's comfortable again. He says that he hopes she won't become offended by what he's about to say. But he's admired her for quite a while. He tells her that she is such a strong woman and so beautiful that he just couldn't help himself when he kissed her. She looks over at him, blushing from what he just said. He knew at that moment that he had her right where he wanted her. Over time, he showers her with more beautiful words. She becomes even more comfortable with him. She feels safe with him. Her guards no longer exist. The lines that they have crossed seem so blurry now. He professes his love for her. She exhales like she's been waiting to hear those exact words from him. As they lay entwined in one, in one another's arms, she feels as if she can breathe again. Like life is worth living again. Yes, she still grieves for her son and she still misses him. But the man laying next to her seems to know exactly what to say to make her feel better. He even said to her one day that he believes that she's his true soulmate. But what about your wife, she asked. He said he no longer loved his wife, that he would divorce her if he could. But how would that look to the church? She agreed that it wouldn't look good, and they dropped the subject. The anniversary date of her son's death is quickly approaching. The choir director becomes sadder and more emotional. The pastor calls her, sees her when he can, and continues to say beautiful words to her. At, the at times, he even refers to himself as her husband. He knows the words to say to her at her lowest moments. He knows how to cheer her up and put a smile on her face. She initially went to him as her spiritual leader and counselor. She now sees him as her partner, and he still sees her as a conquest. Now, in this scenario, is the choir director a homewrecker, a whore, or some other derogatory word that society would call her? Or is she the victim of someone who preyed upon her during her time of grief, sadness, and bereavement? Is it possible that the pastor took advantage of her during her most vulnerable moment? Remember that she had just lost her child and most of the church, including the first lady, turned their backs on her. So she went to her spiritual leader for guidance and counsel. Now, if you were to label the choir director in this scenario, what would you call her? If the woman in this scenario was your mom, your sister, aunt, cousin, niece, or your best friend, would you give her the same label that you just gave the choir director? I wanted to shed a little light on a topic that we tend to keep in the dark, adultery. Or better yet, I wanted to shed light on the fact that society will quickly judge a woman without knowing any of the details. Society will quickly call a woman a negative name, but won't give the smallest amount of grace or compassion. Society is quick to say the woman is wrong, but is slower than a snail at holding a man accountable for his role in the situation. 
I gave the example of the made-up choir director because I would like for people to pause for just a moment and realize that not all adulterous situations are black and white. There could be lots of different shades of gray in the situation. So, the next time you hear of an adulterous situation, stop for a moment and think about this. Which is easier to do? To have compassion and give grace? Or be judgmental and sinless? Now, this would be the perfect time for my disclaimer. I'm not a licensed therapist, counselor, etc. If you need a licensed therapist, counselor, etc., then please seek a licensed therapist, counselor, etc. There's no shame in getting your mental health together. Once again, I repeat, there is no shame in getting your mental health together. This has been another episode of Light in the Dark Podcast. I am your host, Lady B, and until next time, this is...